uh, working uh, in MENA region on open banking. So I am uh, over here basically heading the DevOps team. And basically we are setting up the compute infrastructure and all of that. So it's a startup and we are growing rapidly. So I'm uh, basically the DevOps guy over there. Okay, cool. Good stuff. Um, and how long have you been working there for? I think you said that already. Uh, I switched recently. I switched basically on in January. Uh, okay. Before that, I was working in Stickator. Uh, I was working as a lead over there. So I switched in January to Tarabo Kitria. All right, good stuff. Um, very, very good. And you studied, I imagine, computer science or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've studied computer science in my bachelor's. Yeah, yeah. And, but also as well, you work as a trainer. I mean, we can talk about this later, but you also do some training stuff. Maybe it would be good as well too. We can share some of those links later on. So if folks want to check that out. Do you do? Okay, very, very good. We already got some folks in here. All right. Um, and there we go. Hello, Leonard. All right. All right, good. It's very, very nice. Ever since we did KubeCon, we've been getting a lot more interaction with lots of people. So it's good. But yeah, so on the training side, when did yeah. you start working as a trainer? Uh, it's been almost, I think, two years now. I started in June 2019. Basically, what we do is we have sessions of DevOps uh, that yeah. covers Kubernetes, Docker containers, Git, uh, Ansible, and all of those tools. So we have an eight-week session, uh, and we cover that over there. So basically, that is uh, what I do part-time on Saturdays. So whenever an iteration starts, so I do uh, training on over there, basically on DevOps. Okay. And what, when do you have free time? <laughs> you say yeah. you work on Saturdays. Yeah, uh, basically, no, that is, uh, I have gaps in between the iterations. So basically one iteration of eight weeks goes, then I take a gap of two uh, months almost, and then I start another iteration. So yeah, other than that, obviously life is uh, a bit busier nowadays, but I really want to <laughs> grasp all the opportunity, which is at the moment. It's a good point. It's a good point. And the thing is like imagining two years ago, us having this conversation right now, it could have happened, you know, like it, you know, but it just wouldn't have been probably as frequent or as possible. And that's one of the cool things about our community is that being able to interact with, you know, I don't know how many countries I'm interacting with every day, but I love it. Cause it's like, I feel like you get to travel. Um, that being said, I think we can kind of start off in a more formal way. Welcome everyone to meetup number 49 um, in, in, in English. We've had other meetups in other languages. It would be very interesting to do a meetup in Urdu at some point. I practiced a little bit of Urdu and you can help me out to make sure that it's a correct. To say welcome, I believe it's Khush Amadit. Khush Amadit, yeah. All right, good. Um, with my wonderful American pronunciation. I know that. I know Shukriya, which is thank you. Yeah, and, thank you. and then if we switch into Arabic, I did learn Arabic um, 11 years ago in Egypt and later in Palestine. Um, but, but anyway, that's not the objective of today's meeting. But like I said, we're always in the data on Kubernetes community looking for as much diversity as possible, folks from different countries, different backgrounds, different languages. We've had meetups in Hindi, we've had meetups in Spanish and Portuguese, have a meetup in Russian on the radar. Ali, we probably need to play in the meetup in Urdu. Um, speaking of which, uh, our guest today is Ali Kahoot, who's an amazing engineer, very, very active. We are just talking about the free time that he has and doesn't have. Um, Ali, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started? Sure, sure, I was done myself. Uh, basically, my name is Ali Kahoot. I'm a DevOps engineer and a DevOps trainer, part-time DevOps trainer. Uh, it has been almost six years that I have been working in this field. Uh, I previously worked in Stickator as a DevOps lead. I have basically set up the complete team over there, and we basically used to provide a Kubernetes offerings over there. I am a computer scientist by background, so uh, what I believe that uh, helps me is because I know what issues a developer would face, a normal developer would face. So that's why what I believe that I 
can help uh, developers basically reach over here and uh, they can work on or learn the devops tools and technologies that how uh, what issues they would face so i can work on that other than that i am currently working as a devops engineer at the rabut gateway it's a bahrainian startup so which is working on open banking in the MENA region. So I am currently the DevOps guy over there. We have set up the complete infrastructure on Kubernetes and all uh, the pipelines and all of that are on GitHub Actions. So yeah, that's some of it. That's a good summary, yeah. And with that in mind too, it's interesting to see regarding sectors, you know, because when we get, we we get, you know, we've, like, like I said, this is meetup number 49. We'll be having meetup number 50 this week. We've seen lots of different perspectives, but I would say the financial sector is, does seem to be one of the strongest examples, along with telecommunications, along with healthcare. Um, what is it about that sector that you think makes it a good candidate, good use case for technology such as Kubernetes? Uh, one of the most important thing would be the security because in the financial sector you need security because we have quite sensitive data uh, and which we need to basically be secured. One thing is that other thing, obviously microservices based architecture, we are working on different sort of uh, applications, uh, the small applications which microservices uh, based on the microservices principle. So we all have sort of uh, covered all of those principles and we are trying to move towards the cloud native sort of applications. So Kubernetes sort of covers each and everything. We had moved to containers previously as well and i have worked on kubernetes previously as well uh, on containers but obviously managing containers is quite hard simply managing containers is quite hard so you need an, a container orchestrator like kubernetes or any other such open shift some of the those tools basically to help you manage uh, to offload things on from the devops engineer so you need automation to offload things uh, you should not be asking your devops engineers each and everything or pinging him for each and everything kubernetes handles most of those things itself so yeah. I think it's a really good point. And that's, I'm really glad you mentioned that as well too, because we're interacting now more and more with uh, with younger folks. And I think a lot of times, whether it's younger or older, but people that are new to this world, a lot of times it seems really, really overwhelming. And like you said, it's a lot of a question of focus. It's like, don't worry, your job, you're gonna, we're gonna be adding some things here. There are gonna be some modifications, but you don't need to be jumping into absolutely everything. Um, I know there's a lot of excitement. And when you look at all the memes and the Kubernetes ecosystem, a lot of times for folks, it gets really like, whoa, how can I possibly learn this? But I think the question is maybe you don't have to learn exactly all of that, right? Yeah. Um, and taking a little bit further, because obviously, you know, our community is focused on data on Kubernetes. Today, we're going to be talking about stable sets, deployments, daemon sets. When was your first experience? What did you first encounter? Because you've been working on this for a while. I'll later link the blog post that you put in, a, that you put out a couple of years ago, which lays this out very clearly. Um, but when the data question came up for the first time, what did you think about it? How did it seem? Did it sound like a crazy idea, stateful, stateless? What did you think? Uh, basically, we had an application that we had to convert to microservices and we had to basically take the database of it as well, uh, considering the principles of microservices. So we did that, but uh, at that point, we also uh, were looking to deploy databases. So what we did was we looked at the Helm charts and we deployed those Helm charts. But one thing that I was confused at, why aren't they using deployments for data? We are de using deployments for our application, but why not the Helm chart when I'm deploying a Helm chart for deploying, for example, Postgres or MySQL or anything of uh, that database they are using stateful set so that was one question that why do we need a stateful set that why uh, is stateful set and another resource provided by kubernetes not how can we just use deployments or uh, those things so that was one thing that grasped my attention that all the helm charts did use stateful sets because previously i didn't know about it but uh, obviously the first thing that every developer does is he should deploy the helm chart of a database whenever he wants and all, all the helm charts they deploy stateful sets so that was one major 
uh, I would say breakthrough in my career that I started reading about what are stateful sets and why do we need stateful sets and not the deployments or simple pods. Why can't they work as uh, efficient as stateful sets? So then I started to research on it and then I found that there was no specific blog that caters to all of this. So then when I started reaching out, listening to different videos, uh, creating an application myself that I deployed using three different uh, models. So uh, then I started to understand the differences and then I thought that it is the best opportunity to write a blog on it because there is none at the moment. So yeah, that's how that blog came into the picture. And once again, like I said, that was over two, you know, around two years ago. So we can say you're sort of an early adopter into this space because, like I said, we've, we've interacted with lots of different folks. Our community has been around for about a year now. Um, and, um, and, and like I said, is that one of the challenging things and one of the reasons why our community exists is exactly the reason that you mentioned is so that there is a space where those resources can be shared so that it's not so overwhelming. You obviously entered those questions with a fair amount of background experience, things like that, the capacity to build your own application, start working with it directly. But for example, we got a question right here already from, from Leonard and he's asking, as a Kubernetes newbie, I know about persistent volume claims, but the thought of pairing uh, an SQL or Postgres uh, database to a cluster is daunting. Like we were saying the word overwhelming earlier. Um, could you describe quickly how we actually pair databases in a Kubernetes deployment? Or perhaps you're going to get to this later in your presentation. Or anyway, if you yeah, answer now, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would I would get that, that in my presentation. So I would think that let's okay. pause that. Let her hold on to that question. Um, let's jump into the presentation right now. I think it's a perfect segue. Um, and Leonard, if for whatever reason we don't get to that question, please remind us and we'll, we'll definitely get to it later. So Ali, if you want to share your screen, go for it. Yeah, okay, I'm sharing my screen. Let me know if you can see it. Okay, good. And just as a reminder, feel free to ask questions here in the Zoom or if you're joining us on YouTube or Slack, whatever, get those questions out there. And I already told Ali, if we're not able to get to everything during the meetup in this one hour, we can definitely continue the conversation later in Slack. Go yeah, for it. Sure. Okay. Uh, okay, so welcome everyone to the 46th meetup. Uh, my name is Ali Kahoot. I'm a DevOps engineer at Apple Gateway. I have covered most of it. Uh, already, uh, just uh, I'm certified in data delivery specialist. I will not be covering most of it again because I have covered it. Uh, okay, so let's jump on towards containers because moving towards Kubernetes, we need to know what a container is and how does a container help and what does the Kubernetes do to a container. So, what is a container? Uh, I will be going uh, through word by word. So previously what happened was if you wanted to ship a car to another country or if you wanted to ship a barrel to another country or for that matter any box or anything you had to have different uh, sort of shipping methodologies but once the containers were uh, basically introduced so what you had to do you had to ship your car into a container you had to basically move your oil barrel to a container a box to a container and you had to make a ship or anything that would just transport that container so you would not be worrying what's inside that container, whether it's a car or anything of that sort. Similarly, uh, when the Docker containers, they were introduced. So you had to just basically uh, modify your application so that it runs on containers, whether it's a backend application, a frontend application, a queue, a database or anything, you just have to run that on a container. And on your infrastructure, you have to install any sort of a container runtime instance, for example, Docker, that would be running those containers. So whether it's a backend app or database or anything, you just have to make an image out of it, Docker image out of it and run that container and make your infrastructure capable of running those containers only. 
So this is the diagram of a basic container architecture. You must have seen it a lot of times. Whenever you search for containers on Google, you would be getting this. For example, uh, there is a base infrastructure, the hardware. Uh, then there is a host OS, and then there is a container runtime. For example, Docker or CRI or anything for that sort. And then in your image, in your Docker image, or in uh, basically you install the libraries, the binaries, and then your application code on top of it, and you run those containers on top of. Uh, using the container runtime on top of the host operating systems. Uh, so basically, this is sort of a, uh, how a container works. But for for example, how can you pass an environment variable to a container? I have an application, for example, a Java application. How would I be passing environment variables, having volumes over it? How can I persist data on a container? So all of these resources are provided by Docker or whatever the container runtime we choose. They are provided by uh, those, for example, Docker provides us with an opportunity to add uh, environment variable to our applications, mount any volume, mount any data path uh, to a persistent volume. So that's how we can persist data for an application. We have networking, how two containers would be communicating with each other, uh, the command, which command you want to run whenever your container would be running, health check and resources. So these are all the resources that are provided by Docker or container itself. And these are some uh, basic commands for it. For example, you add an health check for your application in your Docker file, and then you run your application by using this command, docker run minus it minus e name. So I am passing an environment variable of name, alikahoot, to my container. The network is DOK, the volume I am mounting uh, of this path. And specifically, I am uh, basically providing the resources to for it to be used uh, 1 GB of memory only the image I'm using and the command. So all of these resources are being covered by this one command. So now if you have to manage the Docker itself, that is a headache in itself. So basically, if you are managing containers yourself and individually, that is quite a headache. You cannot do that individually. You uh, would face a lot of issues if, you, and especially if you are in production or any of that sort of environment, uh, there would be quite down times and uh, everyone would be pulling your neck that why was it down or anything for uh, that sort. So for that matter, Google introduced Kubernetes. I would not be jumping into the details of what Kubernetes is, just uh, a brief example or a brief definition of what Kubernetes is. It is a container orchestrator which means that it manages containers. Previously, if a container went down, uh, there was no one that would be working on it or uh, basically pull that up. So what container does is it, or it orchestrates that. It manages your containers. Whenever a container goes down, it will be uh, keep looking into it and then it will uh, try to bring it back up. Whenever there is a load, you can scale it. The networking is quite easy in Kubernetes. The clustering part, for example, previously you had just one machine which has, for example, 8 GB of memory uh, and two CPUs. So you cannot run containers more than that. What Kubernetes does is it provides a clustering sort of an architecture. You can cluster different nodes onto it. So that's some of the benefits of Kubernetes. Uh, so coming to pod, what is a pod? A pod is the smallest deployable unit in Kubernetes. You cannot deploy a container on Kubernetes. Rather, you would be deploying a pod, which in itself will be deploying containers. So a pod is just a wrapper around containers. It is the way to ship containers or to run containers in Kubernetes. Kubernetes way of provisioning containers. And this is a descriptive way. You can write a YAML for it or in JSON, you can declare your containers and you can run those containers. So a one pod can have one or more containers as well. So, uh, But in, in, in an ideal scenario, 
you would never be running more than one uh, application per container uh, per pod sorry so you can have a sidecar container in your pod but not two uh, applications running in a single pod for example you would never be running a front end and a back end application in a single pod but what you can do is you would be running a database and a sidecar container which will be taking uh, backups of your uh, database so that is a sidecar helping you container not the main application so the ideal rule is you would never be running more than one application per pod you can have more than one containers but they would be helping or sidecar containers and this is the whole uh, architecture of a container in a pod for example this is a worker node of your kubernetes cluster uh, kubernetes provides you different uh, architectures one is the master node and other other worker nodes so whether it's a worker node or a uh, master node the infrastructure remains the same there is the hardware the host operating system the container runtime docker and another tool named kubelet so now in kubernetes what will happen is you will never be running commands like docker run those commands will be managed by kubelet you will be creating a pod and api server will be scheduling those pod using the kubelet will be communicating to the kubelet that i have received this specifications of a container or a pod and then kubelet will be running those pods and containers on specific worker nodes whichever uh, are free based on the resources and uh, similarly the same structure the application the libraries the binaries the images again uh, made by you kubernetes does not do that you have to build that image then you can pass on the environment variables the volumes the networks the commands and all of those to your containers using the pod uh, definitions so that is how a kubernetes uh, pods work and how you can pass on different information to your containers using the pod uh, definition so this is a simple example for example this was the same uh, command that we ran earlier using the docker command and now the same application it is run using a kubernetes pod definition so for example i have created a pod with name this container this this is an array as you can see i am mounting a volume over it uh, that uh, volume is coming from a pvc uh, and i am mounting on this path so these are uh, this is how you define a pod now uh, coming to controllers what is a controller concept in kubernetes and how do controllers work because whole of the kubernetes uh, the infrastructure the architecture is based on controllers if we don't know what controller is then obviously it would be quite difficult to understand uh, the whole kubernetes architecture in a simple way if i explain the controllers are just a security guard or just a watchman that would be of continuously trying to sync the current state and the desired state so whatever whenever the current state is not equal to the desired state it will become unhappy and it will ask the kubernetes api server to do something to fix this that do something would obviously be to sync the current state into the desired state so this is the basic basis of kubernetes itself the controller architecture there are a lot of controllers that i would be mentioning later on as well but this is the base of it and whenever the current state gets equal to the desired state the controller gets happy and it again starts in a sitting in a loop that whenever the current state goes out of sync with the desired state it will again ask the kubernetes api server to uh, try to fix it so there are different controllers in kubernetes node controllers service controllers ingress controllers uh, you have to deploy yourself then uh, there come these different uh, controllers that 
uh, you can de uh, deploy for deploying your application, the replica set deployment. Replication controls have been depreciated, so you don't need for that. But replica set deployments, stateful sets, and daemon sets, you can uh, use these to deploy your application. Really, really quickly, Ali, we got, we got a question on YouTube. Uh, someone asked, uh, why can we not set multiple replica sets on an EKS cluster? We can set a multiple replica sets on an EKS cluster. Uh, replica sets has nothing to do with uh, an EKS or anything. It is the base of Kubernetes, and you can create multiple replica sets. We will be creating uh, replica sets. Replica sets uh, is uh, quite straightforward, which uh, we will be covering next. Uh, and okay. we can create multiple replica sets. There is no compulsion on that. Okay. I guess the question is, there's going to be a lot of stuff covered in this session. Let's keep going. Okay. So uh, again, the, as we said, replica set. So the issue with pods, for example, if I simply deploy my application using pods, using individual pods, the issue is that these pods cannot be updated. For example, I have a new version of my image. It cannot be updated or it cannot be scaled. I cannot scale my pod. For example, if I have load on my application, I cannot scale my pod if I have individual pods. Obviously, and if then if the pod is deleted, they cannot be recreated. It will never be uh, recreated on its own. What replica set does is it manages the pods and its replicas. For example, I want to have three replicas of my application. So what I will be doing is I will be specifying three replicas in my uh, replica set definition. And what it will do is it will create the exact same copy of those pods that I mentioned. It will be creating the exact same copies of my uh, application. The replica sets, what it simply does, it, it just creates replicas of your pods. The replicas are exact same copies. The pods of a replica set can be used interchangeably. So as I said, that they are uh, exactly similar to each other. And so replica set is a controller that what it will be doing is it will basically see that the desired replicas of a pod are three. Current replicas are zero. So it will ask the API server to increase replicas. And uh, when the current will be one, again, one is not equal to three it will again ask the API server to increase a replica. Again, it will be two. And once it is three, now it will become happy. So now what if I go and I delete a pod manually? If I delete a pod manually, again, the current state is again two. The desired state is three. So what the replica set controller will do, it will again ask the API server to create a new pod, create a new pod with all of this specifications. And API server will then create uh, that pod uh, on any of the nodes. So this is a basic uh, replica set controller that what it does is it just creates replicas of your application. And once the current and the desired states are equal, uh, then obviously a replica set controller gets happy and uh, it's then again starts to look into uh, the loop. So what are the shortcomings of replica set? Why don't we use replica sets? You must have listened about deployment, stateful sets, daemon sets, but never replica set as an option to deploy your applications on a production uh, setup. So why oh, don't we sorry, use- Sorry, no, no, quick question. We got a question from, from Leonard. Thank you, Leonard. Is a replica set the controller that controls horizontal pod auto-scaling? Uh, yes, basically, the pods are basically if you use an horizontal pod autoscaler, what that will do is it will create a new rep, basically, it will increase the replicas for your replica set. So, in replica set definition, what we do is we mention the replicas we want for our replica set. So, what that horizontal pod autoscaler will do is it will update the replica set to be using uh, or basically updating uh, the replicas for that specific replica set. Thank you. 
so what are the shortcomings for replica set replica set does not handle versioning the issues for public pods that we mentioned earlier were one that uh, versioning is not handled and one other was that the scaling was not handled but replica set handles only the scaling part of it but uh, versioning is not handled for example my application is running on version v1.0 and i want to update my application to v2.0 replica set doesn't do that you would be you would have to delete the previous pods and only then the new pods uh, will be created with the newer version uh, so i have a demo for it i will just be uh, basically i would try to cover all of the topics that i am uh, doing in a hands on uh, ex exercise as well so this is an eks cluster i have created a cluster with my name kahoot it has a three node cluster so three nodes are running uh, currently there are only three volumes uh, each for one node and this is the counter application that uh, i have created uh, for it so basically what i will be doing is if i show you the simple pod this was a simple pod that i mentioned earlier so uh, that i can if i create it the simple pod and if this is the cluster this is the lens kubernetes ide and this pod is now created and if i check the logs of it it says that attendees are awesome so all of you are awesome you can be happy and kubernetes certifies that that you are awesome so uh, but the issues that we mentioned about pod so what if i delete it manually or by mistake or anything it will not get recreated or it will it is terminating so uh, it's not that it's recreated so it is terminating uh, so now if i create a replica set this is an rs replica set and i have two replicas specify two replicas for my application and if i run this we can see it is still in terminating state i don't know why it should be terminated till now but yeah this is the replica set so you can see that what i created it was a replica set with name dok-rs but the pod was created with dok-rs-rs a unique id so whatever whenever replica set creates a pod it uses a random id for it and it creates that so if i see again the, it is again logging the attendees are awesome after every 10 seconds because that is what i have asked it to do after every 10 seconds it will log the attendees are awesome so it is a replica set but for example i want to update my image to this previously i was using busybox latest but now i want to update my image to 1.33.1 and i apply the application it will say me that the replica set has been configured and if we see over here the replica set is configured but the pods do not take that change or basically that change is not reflected onto the pods so if we see the image over here uh where is it yeah so still the image is busy box the pods have not been updated so replica set does not update the versioning of the pods but what if i delete the pod manually then the new pod will have that new image but obviously we don't want such type of sort of a behavior that we have to manually delete every time so over here you can see the new pod has the newer image but the previous pod it still has the uh, old image the busy box so that is how why we cannot use replica set for deploying our application so if i go back again and we basically 
talk about deployments. So what deployment does is it handles the replica sets based on the update of configuration. So for example, I apply a configuration. What deployment will do is it will create a hash out of it and it will create a replica set for it. And when I update that configuration, for example, in the previous example, I updated the image for it. And when I update the image, it will create a new replica set. It will provide a rolling update and it will provide a new replica set. And what if that new replica set or that new image has some error or bug in it? So what it will do is it also provides the support of rollback. How it does that, for example, deployment is also an, again a controller. Sorry, Ali, really quick question as well. Uh, from Saudi, Saudi, always asking good questions. Thank you very much. Question is, is it possible to have multiple replicas, but each replica container having access to an environment variable that would reflect a replica's ID and having this value accessible from within the application code? Uh, basically, we can do that. We can use Kubernetes API for that matter. Uh, for example, if we use that natively, I am not sure about that, whether we can do it or not, but uh, I don't think so that we can do it because uh, we can get the data from the metadata, but uh, I'm not sure about that. But obviously we can do that if we write a Kubernetes API inside of it. So whatever language application you are writing, you use the Kubernetes SDK and you implement the methodology of getting the replica set ID of this pod. You can do that uh, based on the uh, code. So you have to implement that yourself. If you can get that natively from Kubernetes, I'm not sure about that, but I don't think so that you can, you can only get the pod name. So uh, those things you can get, I'm not sure about the replica set ID. Okay, so uh, moving forward. So now I'm de deploying a deployment, for example. So my desired state is in the previous example, DOK app with BusyBox 1.33.1 image. And the current state is that the BusyBox latest image is deployed. So what the deployment controller will do now it will create a new, it will ask the API server to create a new replica set with BusyBox this image and downscale the previous replica set as the new replica set is getting up. So basically, and once that is up, it will be uh, green. So let's show the exact example. I will just delete the replica set that was created earlier. And now if I uh, deploy the deployment, so now we can see its name is dok-deploy and the pod name is, if you see dok-deploy, a unique ID dash a unique ID. So how, why are these two unique IDs and how come these are two different IDs? So deployment, what it did was it created a replica set, the 6D294 basically. I created this deployment, dok-deploy. It created a replica set, dok-deploy-6d. And this replica set then in turn created these two pods whose name are basically 699, the name of the replica set, dash a unique ID for the pod. And now if I update my deployment with 1.33.1 image, so what will happen is it will create a new replica set so you can see over here, a new replica set is created, which is being scaled up and the previous one is being scaled down. So that's how the versioning is handled. And for example, there is an error in the new deployment or in the new replica set. What I can do is I can simply scale this one back down and I can scale this one back up. There is a command from kubectl as well, kubectl rollback. So what you can do is you can roll back to the previous version if there is an error in your new uh, version of your application. 
So that is why deployments are the uh, default method of deploying your applications in a production uh, setup or even uh, whenever you want your application uh, uh, lifetime because they provide you the versioning of your applications. If the newer version is uh, gets an error, you can easily still roll back. And also that you saw that it basically did a rolling update. It scaled this one up and it scaled this one down. So for example, if this one got an error in between, or for example, if I had mentioned a wrong image name, for example, if I go over here and I mention a wrong image name, this is a wrong image name. Obviously this image would not be existing in Docker Hub and I apply it. What it will do is it will create a new replica set, but that replica set will never get, the current will never get one because it will be stuck in image pullback and your ap application is still up uh, due to the previous replica set that was created. So that's one of the most uh, important benefit of deployment is that it provides rolling update. So these are your two applications that are still up, even though you have mentioned the wrong image name, you have uh, basically committed a blunder at your end, but Kubernetes, uh, as it's a fault tolerant system, so it is sort of tolerating that fault when you are using a controller for uh, controller deployment. So I will just again delete it and now going back to the uh, slides. Now another controller is daemon set. Uh, daemon set is almost similar to replica set. That's exactly the same to replica set. The only thing different from a replica set is that each replica of a daemon set, it will run on each node of your cluster. So for example, you have five nodes. Uh, the each there will be five replicas of your application, and each one of them will be running on each of the nodes. So that's uh, how daemon sets work. They also provide rolling update, but they cannot do rollback because uh, as we mentioned that replica set does not have rollback option. Deployments have rollback option, but uh, daemon set is similar to replica set. Uh, you would be basically thinking that why should we deploy a daemon set? Why would we be needing replicas equal to the number of the nodes? So for example, I want to monitor my cluster. I want to monitor each node for example, my node one is consuming 100% of or 80% of the memory. Node two is consuming 60% of memory. Node three is consuming 70% of the memory. So I should be able to uh, basically know how much memory and how much all of those things are being consumed. So what I will be doing, I will be deploying a daemon set of my monitoring exporter. So they will run on each node and they will be sending uh, the data about your application or about your nodes to Kubernetes that this node is this, this node is this. So in that cases, obviously you need a daemon set which will be running on all the nodes. Similarly, uh, Sorry, if quick, you- quick question. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some applications? Once again, from Leonard, thank you, Leonard. Uh, actually two questions. What are some examples of applications that we will run as daemon sets? Uh, Fluent D, anything else? And what are some of the more interesting apps you've run as daemon sets? Sure, okay. So basically, as I mentioned, FluentD, this is the logging exporter that uh, you just mentioned. FluentD, what it will do is it will basically scrape all the logs from all of your nodes. Uh, basically, it needs to run on all nodes. It will be scraping the logs and it will be pushing the logs to Elasticsearch or any other uh, uh, storage that you are using. And the other thing, as I mentioned, the monitoring exporters, what you also need the uh, basically uh, metrics of, of your nodes. So you would be needing daemon set in that as well as 
similarly another daemon set that uh, comes by default that is a cube proxy for example if we go over here and i choose all namespaces so you can see cube proxy is another daemon set that uh, is running cube proxy is a tool that handles the networking of your cluster so it should be running on all the nodes as it needs to manage the networking that uh, which pods are running on this node and it manages all the basically the routing table of your kubernetes cluster so cube proxy is another thing the aws node so i am not sure what this does is but obviously this seems so that aws runs this uh, on in, on its eks cluster to monitor anything or to do anything for that sort so anything that needs to run on all nodes gather information or do anything do any uh, update on your nodes for one other example that i used on my uh, production cluster as once was if you remember that docker they basically uh, docker hub they implemented the api limiting on their uh, basically infrastructure so at that time we had a production downfall because at once the api limit started reaching and the images were unable to uh, download because the api limit reached so what i did was i created a daemon set that would update the docker config of your nodes and uh, it will basically provide my credentials over there so that the api rate limiting does not hit and we had a paid account but we were not using it because we didn't think of that that api rate limiting would uh, ever cause any issues for us but what we did was we created a daemon set that updated the docker's configuration for each of our nodes and at once we rolled that to production because uh, for some time for a brief amount of time we were affected because of that so that is another example of a daemon set okay uh, so again daemon set is a controller but what it will do is it will make sure that each replica is running on each node of your kubernetes cluster so five node cluster five replicas uh, three node cluster three replicas and once all of them are up it will be happy and uh, that stateful sets they are only used for apps with persistence so i am not mentioning them over here uh, i have a complete section for persistence which i will be covering so uh, just an example of daemon set if i run the same example as a daemon set if i go over here and i just choose the default name so this is the dok ds the daemon set and you can see that each of them is running on a different node this one is running on 2083 this one is running on 2252 this one is running on 2122 so all of these are running on different nodes and i have a three node cluster so three replicas and each one of them running on each node so that is uh, another example of uh, daemon set how it works it does the same thing uh, because i have used the same application that just prints the attendees are awesome so moving forward if i go present so now coming to persistence in kubernetes how persistence is handled this was just a brief uh, difference between deployments state replica sets and daemon sets now coming to persistence in kubernetes how does that happen so for this section i will be using a sample application a counter application what it does is that it reads from a file the last line increments the number and writes back to the file and sleeps for a random time for 1 2 3 seconds and then again does the buff step this is the script that i have written and this is available over on this uh, url uh, i have open sourced it so what it does is simply it reads the file the counter.txt it increments it 
and it basically increments it and then again writes back to the same file and then sleeps for a random of about one to three seconds and uh, it just sleeps there and basically it continuously does that so basically over here sorry so what happens when we talk about persistence in kubernetes as i mentioned that volumes and all of those things are part of containers already you do not need to do anything for that sort but what kubernetes does is sorry one quick, one quick question uh, mm -hmm. uh daemon set support replica sets can i run two daemon sets on the same node no no daemon sets don't uh, support replica sets they run only on different nodes uh, you cannot run a daemon set on uh, two replicas of a daemon set on a single node you cannot do that Okay, perfect, thank you. So uh, basically what happens is, for example, you have a container and you want to mount the slash app slash data path on a volume, you want to persist this. So for example, uh, MySQL has a path of slash MySQL slash data or anything or any uh, databases. So I want to persist this data. So what I will be doing is, I will create a PVC. Uh, I will show you the definition of a PVC. I will create a PVC. I will use that PVC as a volume in my pod. So for example, I created a container one dash PVC. I use that as a volume in my pod. And then I am mounting this volume on this path on my container one. So for example, I have three containers. I can mount the same volume on those three containers. But as I mentioned that it's not a good policy, it's not a good practice to have multiple containers running in a single pod. Uh, so uh, we should avoid that. So, but coming to persistence, what will happen is I will create a PVC. It will create a persistent volume, which will create an actual physical storage on the cloud or wherever your cluster is hosted. It will actually create that a block storage or a file storage, whatever you use. And you will be basically creating a volume, which will use that block storage and you will mount this data on that storage. So whenever I write anything on this path, slash app, that slash data, for example, I create a file named alikahoot.txt, it will be stored on this physical storage. So uh, if I show you the example over here, this is the persistence. This is a persistent volume claim. And let me apply this as well. And here I'm using this PVC DOK over here in my volume. I have mentioned the persistent volume claim, claim name to be DOK. I am using one GB of the storage. And this is mounted on data on Kubernetes path. So now if we see over here, this is my pod. It is still waiting for the persistent volume claim to be created. If I go to storage PVC, this is created. Uh, my uh, This is just created 21 seconds ago, and this is the PV that is created in response of it, DOK. And if I go to my actual cloud, as I showed you that previously there were only three volumes. But now if I uh, refresh it, so now I have a new volume that has been created. If I check the tags, uh, so basically this is the PVC name. Uh, this is the PVC name. This is the uh, uh, DOK that PVC name that I created. And this is the namespace default. So this is how the actual persistence is happening. So for example, just LS, if I go to data, sorry, not LS, CD data on Kubernetes, if I create a file a.txt. So if you can see, I have created a file a.txt, I exit from it. 
I delete my pod, the pod is deleted and I create another pod, persistence pod 2. But the volume and the PVC are still the same. So you can see over here, it is successfully assigned, pulling image, successfully pulled image. Uh, I think so it, it is taking some time to terminate because once this will terminate only then this will uh, start. Okay, so this is started. If I go to CD data on Kubernetes and I do LS, I can see that same file that I created on the previous pod. It's still there, the data is persisted. Quick question, quick question from Michael. Thank you, Michael, for the question. Can you show the YAML for persistent volume? Yeah, basically this is the persistent, okay. We are creating persistent volume claim, which in turn creates the persistent volume. So this is the persistence volume. If I edit it over here, so this is the actual spec of it, the capacity with that we said that AWS block store, the access mode, the claim reference, the storage class name, because I didn't mention the storage class name over here. So it picked the default storage class name on AWS. The default storage class name is GP2. So it created this. This is the PV, the persistent volume spec. All of it. So uh, you can create PV yourself as well, but that would be a manual step over here. What we are using is we are using claims. So I created a claim which in turn automatically created a PV. Uh, persistent volume for me okay uh, so i will be deleting this and now moving... a question from michael is uh, okay so it's created dynamically with the help of storage class yeah yeah it's created dynamically with the help of the storage class. whichever storage class you use it will create and provision that block storage for you whichever storage class that you have used already so uh, persistence in deployments, how does the above persistence, which we checked on a single pod, how does that work for deployments? Because deployments create replica set, then comes the pod. So how does that have worked? So over here, for example, I have a deployment named counter, uh, which has one replica. It will create replica set, which will create a pod. And I have a PVC counter that I've already created and mounted on my deployment. It is the same as it was in pods. But what if I scale up my deployment? I scale up my deployment to have three replicas now. So how will that work? I have a deployment with three replicas. It created a replica set. Each of the replica set now created three uh, replicas. And each of them is sharing the same PVC, the same volume. Each of them are sharing the same volume. So this is uh, how persistence is happening in deployment. Because deployments are not meant for stateful applications, in deployments, what they do is they all share the same volume because as I said that pod XYZ1, pod 1, 2, this, all of these three pods are interchangeable. They should be interchangeable. One can replace another. So that's why there is no specific order for the pods. They can be interchangeable. So all of them share the same volume. Same is the case in deploy daemon sets. The only difference is that the daemon sets, the replicas would be running on different nodes uh, all the different but they would be sharing the same pvc for example i showed you the application uh, the counter application that reads from a file increments the variable and then writes to the file again and then sleeps for a random one two three seconds so if i go to 
and deploy a deployment over here. This is my deployment counter. Uh, this is my image that I have created with this specific shell script that I've mentioned. And this is also only difference is that now I am using an EFS storage class because EBS, the block storage, if you uh, know a bit about block storage, block storage cannot be attached to more than one instance at a time. Block storage can only be attached to only one replica. Other replicas will start failing and say that the block storage cannot be attached to more than one. The file storage, uh, file storage means that you can attach it to multiple instances at one time. So we are using elastic file system of AWS for uh, this example. Now, if I deploy the deployment and we see over here, now my deployment is created. It, it has only one replica at the moment. Uh, the PVC is created. Counter the storage class is EFS. Now, if you see, this is my replica. And this is just, uh, again, uh, logging. Basically, it uh, started from one, two, three, four. It will read the, uh, basically, uh, the file, increment it, and log it back again. So it is all in a sequential form. But what if I update the oh, sorry, 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 one more, one more question. In practice, do pods that are deployed with PVC take longer to spin up? And how reliable are PVCs in helping uh, pods to persist state? Do you notice any latencies? Uh, no, no. Basically, what happens is that an EBS or whatever cloud you are using, that get attached, attached to your node. So for example, when I showed you volumes over here, so these three nodes are also attached. And this is one another volume that is attached to your node now. So there is no latency on it. Uh, the default way of persisting data is using PVCs and using these. Obviously, uh, the if you have quite sensitive data, you can use a better storage class or a better volume claim. For this, the IOPS is 100. You can choose a better storage class, which has a better IOPS, but obviously that would be expensive. So uh, pros and cons are on both the sides. Regarding that as well, in terms of your experience with different some of the different solution options that are out there, what we say, you know, Ceph, Rook, OpenEBS, which one have you had most experience with? Uh, for most most of my experiences, I would say I have not used that much of uh, Ceph. I have used Ceph, but not that much. I would say not my personal experiences with that. But only thing because I don't have that much of a latency issue and that much of a sensitive data or that sort. So I have been using the old storage classes myself. But you can use Ceph, Rook. These are all uh, enterprise-grade solutions for your databases and for your data. So you can use that if you have sensitive data, you have a latency issues and all of those things. OK, so uh, now I have scaled it up to three replicas. So now you can see that this the pod, its logs didn't start from one. Rather, it started from 15 because this pod had already the first pod, this which is running from 118 seconds, had already logged something on the file. And now if you see that the data is totally inconsistent, 17, 18, 18, 20, 20, 21, 22, 23 are missing. So data is inconsistent because all of these three are sharing the same volume and are basically trying to uh, change the data of that volume. So all of these are sharing the same data. So you can see that 70 is above it, 68 is after it. So because we have a random sleep function. So this container might, this pod might have slept for three seconds and this might have slept for two seconds. But it when it wrote back to the file, so the data got inconsistent. So for that matter, we don't use uh, PVCs or persistence for that deployments when we have a sensitive data. 
so as you can see that the totally the data is out of order the data consistency is totally not in place when we are using one pvc with three uh, replicas of a deployment so let me delete it same is the uh, case with daemon set i will just apply the daemon set and uh, i will try to move forward with stateful sets okay it is stuck okay so again persistence in daemon sets it will be totally same the they all will be sharing the same pvc uh, they all the logs will be totally out of order again in case of daemon set it is also never used this is just to show you the differences between the three in terms of persistence now okay, coming one, to one, one more question for michael thank you michael what if i have a volume or drive with data that's needed for the application um how can you coordinate the app uh, startup and make sure that the data from the volume is available for it uh sorry didn't get you oh it's okay so what if i have a volume or drive with data that's needed for the application and how can you coordinate the app um start and and make sure and be sure that the data from the volume is available for it okay okay so basically you mean to say that uh, the volume is provisioning the time that it takes to provision uh, that things so for that basically we have probes in kubernetes uh, you can have a probe uh, liveness readiness probe and liveness probe so what readiness probe will do is it will not mark your pod as ready until unless you specify your command so you can create a command that it should check whether the volume has been created yet or not or you can have init container for it as well so init container what it will do is you can have that thing uh, until unless that if you can check in the init container once that condition passes only then the main container should start running so you have two options for that okay so coming to stateful sets the main thing that is used for data on kubernetes uh, the main controller stateful sets is the main controller that is used for managing the stateful applications you declare the pvc template inside the stateful manifest and the it guarantees the ordering and uniqueness of pods by having incremental naming convention uh the replica pods are not interchangeable they have a unique numbering for example 0 1 2 they have an uh, incremental numbering uh, whenever you have multiple replicas of a stateful set each replica has its own state they will not be sharing the state of each other they are not interchangeable they are separate entities they are separate uh, you would say have their separate state so they are useful for databases how they are useful for database i will be coming uh, back to it uh, in a moment so this is how is persistence in stateful sets as is done this is a stateful set one replica it created a pod counter dash 0 in deployment as i said that the naming of the uh, pods was totally random it was not sorry Ali, we got another you're getting so many questions this is incredible um just curious what happens if we use two replicated uh two replica sets in yaml of the deployment and use uh ebs block storage for pv uh one will connect to it the other one will fail saying that the ebs cannot connect to more than one instance Okay. one will be able to connect to it because ebs can only be connected to one uh, instance so uh, one will be able to connect to it but the other will be failing uh, saying that we cannot connect to the ebs more than All one right. instance perfect thank you so this is a pod it created a pvc counter dash 0 and it all looks good but what if i scale it up if i scale it to three replicas so what it will do is it will not create three replicas at once as deployment did what deployment did was it scaled up it up all at once because as i said that they are interchangeable 
in stateful sets it will create a new pod counter dash 1 it will have its own pvc it will uh, then once the counter 1 is totally up it's ready it will create the other pod counter dash 2 which will have its own pvc so now counter 0 and counter 2 cannot be rep, uh, interchangeable because it has its own pvc it has its own data it's and this one has its own data you cannot say that the counter 0 can be re, uh, replaced with counter 2 because they both have their own data so if we use deployment for database of stateful applications data consistency can be compromised which we just saw we were just writing a, to a file and reading that file so deployment were not able to consist the data uh, the data consistency part high availability cannot be achieved if the pvc is deleted from this image if i delete the pvc then no all of the data is gone for each of the replica so data high availability cannot be achieved stateful sets uh, one drawback of stateful set is that they don't have replica sets so you have no roll back option you have to manually roll it back to the previous version and i will just show you the example for the stateful set okay uh, one thing that i missed uh, let me first delete it okay for stateful set that when you delete a stateful set the pvc does not get deleted that is a benefit for stateful sets that even if uh, you delete the uh, basically stateful set the pvc does not get deleted so i am making sure that the pvcs are deleted before applying the stateful set so there are no stateful sets no pvcs okay one just started i not sure why because i just created that maybe that's why it, okay it is in terminating state once it's terminated i will have to manually uh, delete this okay so yeah it is now deleted so now i am applying a stateful set so now we will see we have three replicas of my stateful set we can see first the first pvc got created counter dash counter dash 0 and the first pod got created it is once it gets in the running state then the next pod will be created this is up okay stateful set okay I, there are three only one replica sorry the stateful set has only one replica i was seeing the deployment now if i scale it up so let's see the magic i have scaled it up it is creating a new pod counter dash 1 a new pvc is being created counter dash 1 and a new uh, pod counter dash 2 is also being created and the pvc is also there so each pvc has its own pod and each pod has its own pvc let me just apply the deployment again so you can see the difference and can confirm that i am telling the right thing from the pvc so over here you can see that there are three pods connected to the same pvc counter dash 7 dash grc counter dash 7 dash r9 counter dash 7 dash v2 so the same pvc is connected with the three pods over but in stateful sets each of the pod has its own pvc so how is it beneficial and how is it beneficial for databases let's move on to that so what happens is whenever you deploy a database uh, in a kubernetes cluster you want it to be highly available so what happens is you create a cluster for your databases for example if we are deploying postgres on our kubernetes clusters so what we want is we want a cluster of postgres uh, basically database so one would be the primary replica other two will be the secondary replicas which will just be syncing the data from the first primary one 
So these two are secondary replicas, and this is the primary replica. This is read-write, and these are only writing or reading the data from Postgres zero and basically saving the state. All the uh, basically activity that will be performed on this uh, pod only. These are only read-only replicas, the secondary replicas. What if this goes down? The pod goes down or the PVC goes down. So what will happen is one of the two secondary, they will become the primary one. And as Stateful Set is a controller, it will provision a new pod with the same name. So uh, as it was before for deployments, another issue is that we don't know the exact name for Stateful Set. The name will be same. And now it will become the secondary replica. Now Postgres 1 is the primary replica and it became the secondary replica, which will again start copying the data from the primary replica. So that is a benefit of using stateful set. Each have its own state. Each is maintaining its own state. You can have a highly available database in your uh, basically cluster. And that's how it works. And why do you need stateful set for database? Again, databases form clusters. You can never have replicas of your database. Always you will be having clusters. One will be the primary one, other would be the secondary one. Each individual pod should have a unique identity because you can uh, communicate with each other. As the cluster, it communicates with each other. The primary one should know the name or it should be able to predict the other pod names. As we said at the stateful set, it increments the name. Counter 0, counter 1, counter 2, counter 3. We all can easily predict what would the name of the next replica would be and even if the one pod goes down it will come back with the same name as before so the networking will be easy for deployments the name will obviously be different whenever a new pod will come up for stateful set the ordering the uniqueness they, that will remain uh, always over there and the pvc doesn't delete automatically even if pods or stateful sets delete uh, just the example for it i will just delete the stateful set we can see that the PVCs will not get deleted. The pods will get deleted. The pods are in terminating state. The PVCs will not get deleted, even if the stateful set is delete, being deleted. So uh, that's another benefit of uh, stateful sets. So whenever you recreate the stateful set, it will again uh, use that same old, uh, basically, uh, PVCs. Wow. So, as, as usual, we got more questions because you're making everybody's <laughs> minds get really busy. So we got another question from Leonard. So a front-end stateless deployment will tap into a back-end stateful DB database pods? Yeah. Basically, front-ends, they are tend to be stateless applications. They do not have any sort of a state in them. They are just uh, serving the uh, front user. So you can have deployments for it, and you can have multiple replicas. Each replica will be the same, whether the call goes to first replica or the second replica. But the databases, they would obviously be using stateful sets or any application that has state involved in it, you would be using stateful sets for it. Okay. And then one other, uh, well, a couple other questions. So, well, one thing to follow up with that, the database stateful sets are served by PVCs in terms of hard disk storage. Yeah, basically the PVCs, that obviously you need to choose whichever uh, storage class or whichever storage uh, volume you want to choose. You can use EPS, you can use EFS, you can use any, even in your node, you want to have, for example, I have three node clusters. So I, what I could do is I can have uh, the storage of these nodes as well as my PVC. But obviously that is totally up to you, which, whichever you want to choose. Um, wow, I can say 
This is being at number 49. I'm sorry that originally in your slides it said 46 because it was 46 when we had when we had scheduled it, but we added some meetups in between. Why well, I say that just because one of the things that I really liked about this, having seen so many meetups, is starting with the building blocks and then we finish with the things that are a little bit more complex. I think you it can tell you can see you can tell that you have experience as a trainer explaining these things, also handling the questions super, super well. Um, few times have we had so many questions in a meetup, so it's really nice to see those things getting answered for folks. Um, Ali, what are the resources that you go to to learn about data on Kubernetes? Uh, first of all, basically Kubernetes own uh, documentation. That's quite good. Kubernetes own Kubernetes.io documentation. They are quite good. You can uh, go to that. But other than that, obviously you need community for it. The DOK community is also quite helpful. Other than that, you have a Kubernetes Slack in itself. Uh, whenever I get stuck on something related to Kubernetes, first thing I do. I ask a question over there and then I do my research because uh, meanwhile, some member from the community can be able to answer me or help me. Similarly, for the data specific questions, the data on Kubernetes community is quite a good initiative and uh, you can do that. But for basic searching or for basic knowledge gathering, Kubernetes own documentation is yeah. enough, I would say. Great point. Um, we got another question as well from Michael. Do you have a demo with uh, no SQL and relational databases? Uh, not at the moment, but obviously <laughs> I have deployed multiple uh, databases, but that can be made, but obviously not at the moment. Okay. Um, no worries. Uh, as we're, okay, let's see. Or uh, any other resources that might be related to NoSQL and relational databases? Michael, I would also recommend jumping in our Slack. And if you ask the same question there, there'll be plenty of people that in the database um, chat that we have going on. They could definitely help you out with that. Um, so feel free to, if you wanna if you want to continue it there, get in our Slack. As I said, if you're not in our Slack already, get in our Slack, check us out on Twitter. Um, we're also on LinkedIn, constantly sharing stuff. Um, we have another meetup coming up this week. We have plenty of things going on. Um, this was a very, very informative meetup. And, and this is another reminder to all the folks that are out there. This is a perfect example of what we're going for as a vendor neutral community. Um, it's very difficult sometimes to say like, you know, the, 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 these are the kind of talks that we're looking for. And then sometimes we still see, you know, corporate power, you know, corporate slide decks and it's not what we're looking for. So I really, really think, and this is a comment we just got from Carlos saying, a really interesting presentation. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carlos, for your comment. But Ali, you can see the feedback's really, really good. Now, my question is, when can we have you back? Um, because this was this is exactly the style that we want. So that so that once we get, as we said, uh, that it's not so daunting, it's not so overwhelming that we can unpack these concepts and see how they're working. Um, and so, as usual, before before folks start taking off, um, uh, Ali, you met Angel in the, in the very beginning, and what Angel was doing while you were explaining everything so wonderfully was creating this graphic recording. Um, so you can check out some of the the visual summary of the different things that we were talking about. Um, it's always nice to see you know where how we started and kind of how we finished. Um, once again, like I said, I think Ali did an, an excellent job of just explaining the basic concepts of containers, um, pods, showing what, you know, the questions that Kubernetes was answering in the early days. Um, so I think it's a very nice visual summary of all the stuff that we're able to touch on there. Um, as I said to everybody previously, um, you can you can definitely check us out on Slack. You can check us out on LinkedIn, um, on Twitter. Happy to answer questions in Slack as well. Um, still getting great feedback from, from our guests who are here today. 
Ali, um, your blog, we'll link that later in, like I said, in Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, you're quite active in, in different spheres, but as you saw, folks, uh, he's very capable of answering questions very quickly. So feel free to reach out in Slack if you have anything else. Ali, any other closing remarks you'd like to make before we before we finish up? Uh, no, I, basically you have summed, up, summed it up quite well. Just only thing is that what uh, I believe is Kubernetes is the future. Kubernetes is the future of hosting applications. So jump on it, research it, and don't just try to deploy applications. Know the basics out of it. My main purpose of this talk was that you should know the basics out of it because I myself was deploying Helm charts. My task was being done whenever I was deploying applications using a Helm chart, but I didn't know what was the main difference between these resources. Similarly, other resources on Kubernetes as well. Kubernetes is quite complex, uh, but uh, try to grasp the basics of uh, different things. So that's my ending point. I think it's a great way to finish. Uh, we started with a little bit of Urdu. How do we say goodbye in Urdu? I know Shukriya is thank you, but how do we say goodbye? Khuda uh, Hafiz. Ooh, well, you'll have to write that down for me so I can find it. Khuda <laughs> Hafiz, you said? Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Hafiz. All right. I, I still got to work on that. But anyway, good to finish with different languages. Much love to everybody in Pakistan. Hope that someday we can do a live in-person meetup in Pakistan. I would love to go there um, to hang out with you in Islamabad. So anyway, Ali, thank you again, and we'll continue the conversation in Slack. Thanks, everybody.